This is the Real Digital Transformation podcast series, empowering technology and business professionals to succeed with digital transformation. Now, here's your host, best-selling author, Thomas Earle. Hi, and welcome to another edition of the Real Digital Transformation podcast series. I'm delighted to have with me David Linthicum, now an independent technology thought leader and host of the recently launched and very successful YouTube channel, Cloud Computing Insider. Welcome, David. It's great to be here, Thomas. How are you doing? Thanks for the invite. Really well, David. Thank you. Um, So today, we're going to be talking about two topics, which will be separated into two separate episodes. The first will be on tips, guidance, insights as to how to choose the right cloud provider, the right cloud vendor for your business needs, for your business goals. And our second part will be dedicated to delving into essentials of AI architecture that IT professionals and tech-savvy business professionals should begin to understand given how prominent that is becoming to our IT mainstream right now. But let's, let's talk about the cloud vendor landscape as it exists right now. Maybe the best starting point is for you just to provide your thoughts about where it is, where it's heading, and what we should be paying attention to, especially if we have critical decisions to make around who we should be investing our funds, our trust, our future with? Well, I never get easy questions here. Um, (laughs) Typically, people come up to me in conferences, they always say, probably you as well, and they always go, what's the best cloud? And early days of cloud, I heard that all the time. And the reality is, and of course, everybody knows this, that the best cloud is the one that's right for your particular use case. In other words, your application, your data sets, um, the platforms you need to support for your enterprise. And there's a bunch of stuff to consider. You have to consider uh, the ability to support data, the security models you're supporting, uh, middleware, uh, network connectivity, all these sorts of things that come into play, even points of presence. You could be in a South American company where a big cloud provider has a point of presence there, the other ones don't. Lots of different kind of things kind of bleed into what it is. So if you look at the landscape, the big ones are always AMG, you know, AWS, Microsoft, and Google, and they have different uh, strengths and weaknesses depending on who you are. Obviously, it used to be AWS was the 800-pound grill in the market, and they held uh, a larger market share. Um, Since then, Microsoft has caught up a bit, and they've been almost at a synergy level with the services they provide. And they look very much the same. I was noticing that when I was doing a public cloud uh, uh, course that they have the same stuff. Now there's the same object storage systems and relational systems and the same open source systems that are there, the same stuff in the marketplace. You can use Oracle on both of them. They have very similar security systems. So they have kind of parodying what the services are. Now, you may find some feature functions that Microsoft has that AWS doesn't or AWS has that Microsoft doesn't, but you're really not going to understand that until you dive into what those technologies are. And you need to make a good decision because if you don't, you're going to end up with something that's under-optimized. In other words, you're not leveraging the right the right cloud for the right reasons, those sorts of things. Then we have Google. Google... Um, you know, probably a little bit more late to the party. Uh, they just got identity access management a few years ago and had, you know, starting to add the features and functions to get them into service service line parity with both Microsoft and Google. And I suspect we're going to hit a time where there's not going to be a lot of differences between the three. They're going to be commoditized. They're all providing object storage. They're all providing compute, different, uh, different operating system 
uh, selections, different memory configurations, different management capabilities, but they all provide serverless capabilities. They all provide microservice architecture support. They all provide the ability to deal with containers and Kubernetes on each of them. So they have that in common. Google has a tendency to be a little bit more advanced in the AI front, um, you know, present week issues aside, uh, and, uh, and the data analysis front. So, you know, five years ago when I used to deploy clouds, I did notice that we were seeing a lot of um, AWS cloud prime as the primary cloud provider and people were leveraging Google as the data analysis system and the AI mm -hmm. system. And so that was, uh, that was kind of unique, but I think the, the big things in the market, if you're looking at the meta patterns is, is they're going to reach service parity. In other words, they're going to look a lot like each other. They're selling the same stuff on each of the platforms. You can buy Oracle and all of them, SAP and all of them, uh, you know, uh, relational databases, uh, any number of tools, look at the marketplaces, they're all supported in the system. The native tools they provide are looking very, very similar. So it's probably going to be a little bit more hard, hard to determine what's the best cloud for you just because of the differences are going to be micro. They're going to be fine-grained things instead of coarse-grained things. In other words, we didn't pick Google because they were missing an identity access management system a couple of years ago. Well, now they have it. Now, mm -hmm. okay, we can use them, but you know how do they compare with feature function comparison with the other two? Of course, there's other players in the market. Uh, I call them second tier cloud providers, but uh, some people use them and they're successful with them. There's Alibaba, which is normally uh, uh, serving the Asia, Asia Pacific region. Uh, they're out of China. Uh, so the normal issues come, come along with that. Oracle has a cloud that's uh, starting to gain momentum. They have an infrastructure as a service. Obviously they do data well. And uh, then um, uh, there's all, IBM has a cloud. Uh, and then other little micro providers that are big providers like HPE, they have cloud services. Uh, and so we're going to see these kind of distinctive services that are outside of the large service providers, the hyperscalers that are in there trying to look to provide a niche. Obviously, Oracle providing a niche in data, um, uh, other cloud providers looking to provide hybrid capabilities where they will provide on-premise with a public cloud. Um, so there's lots of reasons to look at them, but normally it's going to be specific use cases. So what I would do is if we're going to look at a cloud provider to host my generative AI system, I'm going to look at the three cloud providers as contenders to do that. And then I'm also going to consider the secondary providers as maybe providing me better uh, cost analytics. In other words, they can do it for half the price. And that's a reason to go with them, even though they don't provide the complete suite of tools and as robust of an ecosystem as the big cloud players. We're starting to see this new phenomenon emerge, and it's really kind of emerging more around the generative AI stuff, and that's the emergence of micro clouds. And mm -hmm. what that is, is and there's a ton of them out there. I, people are notice, uh, let me know every day that they have a cloud offering in the market, whatever .ai, and they're able to provide GPUs and, base, and platforms as a service that are focused specifically at generative AI. And that's that's a unique offering because obviously with the chip shortage that we had, the GPU shortage, um, uh, and the cost of GPUs running them on the major cloud providers, they may be able to provide a niche where all they do is they service uh, generative AI processing, some, rudim um, some uh, rudimentary storage on these systems to support a particular instance of an application. Obviously, that's something else you have to maintain. Uh, they have different odd points of presence all over the place, but many of them actually just run inside an existing public cloud provider. So you may use a cloud provider that actually runs at Amazon or runs in Microsoft. And so they use their points of presence and, and they're able to sell you access to the same infrastructure that the hyperscalers are going to sell you. 
but do so at a fraction of the cost. And that is a huge uh, uh, advantage. And if you look at the cost of GPUs right now and what what you have to pay to, to use this infrastructure. So those are contenders of the market. They're making things more complex. And of course, there's all of the above. We have a multi-cloud has been an option for a long period of time. 95% of the uh, enterprises out there, <clears throat> excuse me, run more than one uh, cloud provider. And you can mix and match services uh, to get to the best of breed solutions. And that's the way I think most people are going to deploy this. I would never tell somebody to pick a primary cloud provider like AWS, Microsoft, or Google and only go with them because they're going to do certain things well and not everything as well as you need them done. So your ability to leverage as many cloud providers as you need and pick the best of breed services is has a huge advantage. In other words, I can pick the best Gen AI system, the best relational database, the best network as a service, um, but you're gonna end up with many different cloud brands and the trade-off there is gonna be complexity, which is gonna cause operational issues. In other words, you have to operate those systems, you have to keep you know uh, people around who understand those uh, particular silo cloud environments. And that's going to be a challenge because it's gonna be additional money, additional heterogeneity, additional complexity that comes along with it. But most people are gonna end up there anyway. So I always tell uh, my clients, it's not a matter of if you're going to be in multi-cloud, it's when, and it's going to happen to you. It's not something you're going to pick. And that's because people are picking the best of breed solutions, best of breed technology. They buy whatever they need, and suddenly they have five cloud browns around. And they have to maintain those systems, maintain a service catalog, maintain governance, maintain operations, maintain security frameworks, all these sorts of things. And if you look at the whole talk of super cloud, meta cloud, it emerged around that. So if we're dealing with a multitude of clouds and we're dealing with uh, heterogeneity, including on-premise systems and public cloud-based systems and micro clouds, and of course, managed service providers and colos, edge computing stuff as well, your ability to put one security environment, one operational environment, one uh, governance environment, uh, data privacy environment on top of everything and manage them through one centralized way is normally the way to go. But there's more planning involved with that, more architecture involved with that. Um, you have to kind of be very sophisticated in how you use this stuff. So uh, that's the market in general and in, uh, in whatever I just said. It. And so I rambled on. Oh, that's awesome. And your meta cloud model, which you created, which you established, it sounds like it's going to become more and more important for organizations to uh, use that as a starting point, you know, for organizing, coordinating, architecting their relationships with all these different cloud providers uh, via a central access point. We discussed that previously in, in, um, in our prior podcast, but I just want to reemphasize the importance of that, not just for organizations, but for the industry as a sort of a default model on how to approach and, and handle this without ending up in integration nightmares later on. But in terms of the market right now, you look at the primary cloud providers and the second tier cloud providers. Is it really, uh, have you seen a significant cost savings in using second tier cloud providers? You, you mentioned the parity between the big three and how you expect that parity to become even more solidified as they get closer to each other's capabilities. Do you not see then um, some of them becoming more aggressive in terms of cost or wanting to distinguish themselves more? Do you, do you see them being satisfied with that parity or in knowing the history of those organizations as well as you do, do you foresee them taking strides to outdo each other 
That's part one to my question. And part two is, in terms of the market right now, are the second tier cloud providers a good deal compared to the primary ones? Great question, Thomas. And and the reality is it depends on what your usage is, but normally they're trying to be price competitive and therefore offer it at a lower price. They understand that they're adding heterogeneity, complexity. You have to put have team uh, different talent around to maintain them. So the only way that you're going to leverage Oracle or IBM or Alibaba is to have some sort of a compelling price differentiation that's going to maintain the value. So they understand that. Uh, I do see them discounting it, but it varies based on the brand and based on the deal that they're going into. They're more open to doing the discounts than the big cloud providers are. So in other words, it's hard to get a discount from, you know, the, the big three uh, because in some in, in many uh, occasions, they don't need to discount. They just you just don't have they have the demand to make it happen, certainly with the rise of generative AI. So they maintain their prices. Mm. But clouds are pricey things compared to some of the on premise stuff. We're seeing a movement or repatriation back to on premise. And almost every one of those things is uh, driven by cost. So the price of hardware and software on premise in a data center has just crashed. You know, in the last 10 years, it's gone down at a 45 degree angle. And I point this out in my book. Um, where the cost of cloud is maintained the same, if not risen. They call it cloudflation. And the reason is, is because the cloud providers are entering their 10th, 15 year of service. Uh, the investment that's been made, many billions of dollars, they're trying to get a return from that. And so they're holding firm on the pricing. Uh, the problem is, though, people lifted and shifted their applications and their data sets into the cloud probably too quickly. They're not, they're not optimized for the cloud, and they're burning too many resources on the cloud. And mm. unless you're willing to modernize them and change them, that's going to continue to be an issue. And most organizations, they look at it and say, okay, it's $2 million. This thing's costing me 2.5 times what I thought it was going to cost me. And that's a, that's a figure I use all the time as far as what was expected versus what is charged. And you're telling me to get this to an optimized state where it's going to be reasonably priced. I'm going to have to spend $2 million per application. I'm not doing that. I'm putting it back on premise where I found it. And I already own the hardware. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's, a, if it's a bad architecture. The inefficiency is going to be hidden in months, you know, sunk cost of hardware that's running on premise. So that's why they're, they're making those picks. So the big... Um, the big decisions in terms of how you're going to leverage this technology for the ultimate value being brought back to the business, the optimization of these things are coming up more and more is really the driving force for picking these technologies. And cost is going to be associated with that, but it's really about the efficiency and the ability to live up to the to the business capabilities. We are seeing commoditization of the stuff. So in other words, it's like I said, the object storage system on Microsoft versus Amazon versus Google are kind of the same. And if you're mm -hmm. most people are leveraging the more primitive servers, services on these systems, they're not leveraging the more sophisticated stuff. So that being all be, all things being equal, an Oracle may look more advantageous if they're discounting significantly. Obviously, it's Oracle. They they have a pretty good presence in the market. Same thing with Alibaba. Same thing with the even the micro cloud providers. So it's a it's never an easy decision, but you are picking with two dimensions. Number one, you're looking at the existing needs uh, and requirements of your application for the cloud provider mix that you're looking to mix, but also where things are going. And you're going to be locking yourself in. I know people always say, we're avoiding the lock-in by using multi-cloud. You never are. If you're writing to the particular uh, uh, proprietary APIs of the clouds, what you need to do to leverage those systems, you're locked in the cloud. It's going to take a certain amount of money and time to un 
unlocked from the system. So they're looking at the uh, future of a particular cloud provider. In other words, should we be concerned how long Oracle's going to stay in the market? How long Google's going to stay in the market? How long IBM's going to stay in the market? Different acquisitions are going to occur. Obviously, the micro clouds are going to be risky because they're normally ca undercapitalized firms. They'll sell to somebody in a minute to, to make their money. So that becomes kind of a kind of in play as well. So it's it's a complex thing because it's two dimensions. Number one, we have what the application needs and how it needs to run from the particular platforms that we're picking in the cloud. It's very important. We're trying to find the most optimized platform, the best architecture. You know all about that. All those books behind the, your head that you wrote. And then your ability to get to something that's going to be cost effective and something that's going to carry you forward for many years. And so mm -hmm. they, they think they're making strategic bets in clouds. And I don't disagree with that. It's probably more easier to predict than you think. Um, obviously, AMG, Amazon, Microsoft and Google, they're probably not going anywhere. They're going to maintain their assets for a long period of time. Secondary cloud providers may be a little bit more uh, changing and shifting. Uh, but certainly, I don't think Oracle is going to change and shift, nor is Alibaba, you know, nor is IBM. Mm -hmm. uh, so you go for the discounts and you're you're basically betting on the technology that's going to be a lot of time and support you for a long period of time. But we are going to see instances, certainly around the rise of generative AI, where people are building their systems on top of services on a particular public cloud provider on a micro cloud and they go away. You got to remember just because it's on a major cloud provider, they'll build a service and they'll, they'll take it down all the time. So mm -hmm. they'll build something go, Hey, this is great. You use it. Not enough people use it. They consider it a lost leader or sorry, a loser. So they pull it out of the lineup. You're going to have the same impact of somebody going out of business. So right, you right. have, just lots of different dimensions. And we make these decisions. You know, I talk about this in my public cloud selection class. You have to look at how these things work and interact one to another and then make a decision, use a ranking scale, things like that to come to something that's mathematically viable, pointing to a particular value proposition that the other ones don't do. And, but at the end of the day, you know, we're kind of making an educated guess that these guys are going to hold on to the service and not going out of business. The market's going to continue to emerge. We have lots of variables that we have control of, what our application does and how we're leveraging the service. But the type of service, the quality of the service, the SLAs they put up, that may change over time. And so you may end up holding the bag, even though when you, you made a really good bet. Speaking of SLAs and um, your experience dealing directly with cloud vendors, uh, do the primary or even the secondary cloud providers, do they distinguish themselves in terms of the flexibility to negotiate or to um, lease based on long-term commitments and get further discounts? Are there some that are more rigid where basically when you approach them, they say, here, here's the price list, take it or leave it, whereas others are more open to negotiating certain terms? What For, for an organization that's new, to um, dealing with cloud vendors and new to establishing criteria for what the best cloud provider might be for them. Um, what's, what's your opinion regarding that particular element of interacting with them directly and establishing terms? It's a great question. And I think everybody's gonna have an SLA they're gonna agree upon uh, going in there. You need to insist that that is written into the contract into your terms of service and how you're leveraging the stuff. Uh, they are going to provide discounts with uh, pre-purchase use. It's called reserved instances. In other words, I'm buying storage ahead of use. They're going to give me a 50% discount because I'm paying them up front for making that happen. 
you have to be careful with those because if you don't use the service in a certain amount of time, that that money goes away and then you just wasted the money. Um, right. But everything should be on the table in terms of the SLAs they're able to provide, what kind of support and return on support. In other words, if things go down, are you going to get reimbursed for outages that occur? Um, and they, they do occur from time to time because your business may lose a couple million dollars an hour and then suddenly they go down for a day. Uh, that's obviously a huge impact to you. What is their legal responsibility? All that goes into the the terms of service agreement that you sign um, before you go in there. And I've seen them reviewed by lawyers for a couple of weeks and negotiations occur for a couple of weeks when you're dealing with, you know, hundreds of million dollars at stake or even a small business just, you know, trying to deal with their sales rep on the phone to mm -hmm. get to the best terms. The short answer is the bigger company, the bigger the company is, the bigger the buy, the bigger the consumption of the cloud resources are, you're going to get the better deal. You're going to get the better terms of service. You're going to get the better SLAs. You're going to get the better guarantees. Um, but they're normally not going to discount a lot for that. So in other words, they're going to realize that if they need to provide you with this quality of service and this technical support, that there's a certain cost that comes along with that. And so they're going to protect themselves on their end. Uh, so it's really... Uh, a legal thing at, at the end of the day. I know neither you or I are lawyers, unless I know uh, you didn't tell me something about your, your background. Um, so there is a bit cloud business office within lots of these enterprises. They're the ones who do, do the negotiation. They look at the terms of service. They get into the SLAs and they're also setting up the systems that are able to monitor uh, that the terms of service and the SLAs are adhered to. One of the great things now is everybody was guessing about whether the SLAs were being adhered to or not. Now we have FinOps, which is layered in most organizations, and we can see if a service has gone down, uh, stayed up, you know, and how much money should be coming back to us. There's even some FinOps systems I saw that think it's kind of cool. They'll automatically gener generate a letter at the end of the month, which says, hey, big cloud provider, we noticed that you were out, uh, you had an outage for 25 minutes in this month, and we, you owe us $1,000 per minute for your outage, and they'll send them a bill, and it'll be credited to their account. So that kind of stuff exists as well. But you got to have governance, you got to have accounting in place, you got to monitor the SLAs, and you got to hold the cloud provider uh, feet to the fire, because they won't come to you and say, we made a mistake, here's some money. Um, you have to negotiate with them and how that stuff works. So that also comes down. Are you working with a provider that's going to be willing to negotiate with you? Some of them have a history of not being easy to work with. And then, you know, that, that comes into play uh, in terms of working with a company for a longer period of time. But um, it's money, cost, terms of service, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's whether or not you trust your cloud provider to do a good job and whether or not you trust your cloud provider to step up and do the right things if things go haywire. Mm -hmm. uh, because all the legal agreements in the world and all the court cases in the world won't get you to a better place. So it's the normal things like we're dealing with a contractor who's going to put a new roof on our house. Um, we may go with a more expensive option if we, we get a roofer that's going to show up, clean up. Uh, guarantee guarantee their work and they're easy to deal with and they have a good reputation in the marketplace. Kind of kind of the similar uh, aspects uh, exist with cloud providers as well. And they're getting better known in terms of their weaknesses and some of the issues. And some of them are getting better and some of them are getting worse. And I think even mm -hmm. in the smaller cloud providers, we're talking about the second tier, if they start picking up steam and they start selling more in the marketplace, then they're normally going to provide uh, lower quality service. You would think the opposite would be the case. But 
uh, as they get more of a load, uh, they just don't have the resources to support you in the way they need to support it. So you can count on the fact that if they're going to grow, that the service that you're getting is going to go down. Even though your your agreement may be written that you you receive a certain SLA, a certain terms of service, uh, they're only as good as a company you're dealing with, and they only have their reputation. So my advice when I talk to the hyperscalers is you guys need to be um, – protective of your reputation out there and how things you know how you're perceived because that's how people are picking the technology today and word of mouth is is huge and we've been into this stuff for what 15 years so people know who the good players are they know where the weaknesses are they know what not to do they know what not terms to not to sign they know uh, what slas to put in those templates are well done they know how to monitor them with finops things like that so it's just having a very pragmatic business sense in dealing with the technology solution that you need and getting your best value out of that and getting the best support around that value. Got to remember, you can get a 50% discount on storage services for the next 10 years, which is a great deal, but end up having to be in litigation with these people you know, time and time again, you're not going to get the value out of that value that's coming back. Is that common? For that to occur? Yeah, it is. It is. I'm in the middle wow. of, a, of a couple of things where... They will have a point of presence which has a tendency to have network outages. In other words, a part part of the United States that a particular business is using, and for whatever reason, that center is problematic and they have outages, and they'll start getting bigger chargeback bills based on not meeting the SLA and push that back on the provider, and the provider, in many instances, will just well, we're not going to pay it anymore. You know, it's just just the way it is. And then you have to either take them to court, pull your stuff off of their system, which as we talked about, it, it's it's going to be very expensive to do that. So you're kind of at the mercy of, you know, their viability in the market because they they will fight you on some of this stuff. Uh, they sometimes have good customer service, but for the most part, it's going to be, uh, I would say, challenging customer service. You're definitely going to get it. But it's not as easy as people think. It's not as easy as, uh, you know, calling our bank and getting somebody on the phone. You have to have access to a technical point of contact, your sales person. You have to have some sort of a leverage where you're able to not pay them money, some sort of agreements in place. And like I said, it comes down to trusting the provider. If they're going to do bad and you're receiving a bad experience, you're not getting results from that. That's that's on you. You you probably Mm -hmm. missed something in negotiation. Do they care about customer loyalty in given that multi-cloud is such a commonplace arrangement now for organizations will will microsoft care if you take half of what you had on their cloud and move it to aws will they try to keep you and entice you or or is it just not really a factor right now yeah they will in other words if you're a big company and you're spending 100 million dollars with a cloud that's a pretty significant contract and if you say well i'm taking my stuff and i'm pushing it over to microsoft because i don't believe i'm getting the service and the performance that i should be getting and you know i have all these slas to do they will work with you on maintaining you on that site on that site and by the way it's easy to do because i also know that to pull your stuff off of their site and put it onto microsoft site say aws to microsoft or vice versa Mm-hmm. It's going to be a huge amount of money and expense and risks, you know, to pull that off. And they know that. So sometimes it's, yeah, right. Where are you going to go? Um, but if you are serious about it uh, and you look like you're making a move, um, I had a client one time that would, did a press release, like we're moving off this cloud because uh, we have a problem. Mm-hmm. And 
they'll react to it. They'll respond. They'll, uh, they'll consider that pressure as something that's going to hurt them in the market. Because you've got to remember, your reputation is huge. And if I heard that someone pulled all their stuff out of Microsoft and put it on AWS because of some, some SLA problems, some performance problems, some security problems, I'm apt not to use that, use that technology. And they know that. So it's something they probably guard jealously. But I still see people do dumb things like uh, yeah, just say, yeah, where are you going to go? Okay, see ya. And they let those things fester. And it turns out to be a huge hit for them in the marketplace. And they have to repair their reputation, which takes years to do. Just one more quick question regarding this. The second tier cloud providers, where are they at in terms of support for Gen AI or AI in general compared to the first tier? Are they are they on par? Are they um, uh, a step below in terms of um, infrastructure and, and compute and, and so on? Where would you rank them just in general? I would rank them um, a step below. I mean, they're, they're AI washing their stuff just like everybody else. Also, they don't have as much cash as the big three. You got to remember, it takes many billions of dollars to build a public cloud service. And your your ability to pull in generative AI services and localize them for a legitimate service offering on your cloud is going to be very expensive and very risky. So while AWS can certainly pull it off and they're trying to catch up with Google and Microsoft can pull it off and, and they're kind of leading the way right now, um, they can pull that off in a, in, in a pretty quick period of time. And also, also you have to remember they have a marketplace of certified products already run in their cloud and you can use those as well. So on the second tier cloud providers, they probably don't, they certainly have offerings that they're showing, either they're announcing them or they're in there as well, where they're open source things that they just got up and running in the cloud. But they're not going to be as well cooked. It's not going to be a complete ecosystem. You're not going to have the database middleware, the database hygiene tools that you do at the level of the other cloud providers. So, and they're going to be behind. You know, my advice to be, they probably are not going to ever say it, but they're going to be a few years behind because they can't spend enough as much money. Uh, and so the same thing goes with lots of different features and functions they're able to provide. They just can't spend as much money. I remember IBM a few years ago said, hey, we're going to spend uh, 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 $200 million on our cloud, you know, because this is when the cloud wars were coming off. I, I knew it was over for them then because they, they the other guys were spending billions uh, and buying points of presence and building data centers. And the scale that they just needed to do was at a pace that they really just couldn't keep up. And so mm -hmm. they're going to have the same problems being not ha having access to the same amount of cash, not be able to buy companies on a whim like the other big ones are able to do. Uh, and they're going to have to build a lot of their stuff organically or they're going to have to use open source things. Uh, and they're not going to have enough time and money and R&D dollars to localize them in the same way that the big providers are able to do. Okay, just to conclude, top three things an organization should look for, should scrutinize when choosing a cloud vendor, assuming they have no prior affiliations, just a blank slate. Number one would be um, the ability to support your needs of your application workloads and data sets. Uh, in other words, is your furniture going to look good in, their, in that house? And is it out? And how much is, is it going to cost? So the requirements are probably the most important thing that comes aboard everything. Second would be the price. In other words, what are they charging? 
some are, we may get to this to uh, having supported the first thing, but in the second thing, they may be overpriced. So we may have to go back to the first thing and say, we need to use another cloud because these guys are overpriced. Mm -hmm. And the third thing would be support uh, and the ability to, to be a viable company, you know, on into the future. It's not going to help you very much if you spend two years migrating 50% of your applications to a cloud provider there and because they're a good fit. And they're at the cost point that you're looking for, or could be a couple of cloud providers. And then uh, they, they don't support you or they go out of business or they start pulling your services out of the catalog. And so there's no way to guarantee that, that that's not going to happen. But I would look at the risk in doing that. Talk to the analysts, where are they doing? Look at their finances, talk to their executives, look at how, how many people are existing on those services. You don't want to be the only company on a particular service and a particular public cloud provider. Uh, that's a that's a uh, recipe for a disaster. And those are the three things you would look at. And then you can get into other things like reputation and things like that. But it, it really just kind of comes down to that. And starting with the meta cloud model. <laughs> starting, starting with the cloud yeah. model, absolutely. Yeah. Super. Okay. Well, thank you, David. Uh, that concludes our discussion about guidance for choosing a cloud vendor. Appreciate your insights. Um, our next episode, which we're going to record now, but will be published uh, a bit later on, is about AI architecture. Thank you for listening. Follow Thomas on LinkedIn. 